0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Why don't you stay standing just a minute longer? Can we just appreciate all of the team that have been here setting up and uh, just serving to create a space for us to encounter God here today? I am, uh, I'm so grateful for what's happening in God's house. Amen. Are you glad to be here today? <laughs> so Good. Well, I want to say uh, hi to our St. Pete community and our Manzini community that are joining us as well as also those uh, joining us via Liberty Live. I am just so glad that we're in God's house together, <laughs> together, I love that, all across the world, together, one church, multiple communities. I want to pray for us. We're going to jump right into the word. Father, I pray as we, uh, as we open your word, I pray we would also open our hearts and minds today. I believe you have something for us right here and right now that's significant. And uh, this time of year, God, as we're, you know, the end of the year, and we're thinking about Christmas and holidays and all the different things. Father, I pray that this would be a powerful message that would stir faith and hope, not only for the season, but for the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Awesome, go ahead and take your seats. I. I was in a prayer meeting just recently. Uh, We have a Tuesday morning prayer meeting at the office here in New York, and uh, we were praying for the church. We were praying specifically for our community pastors. You know, in each one of the places where we have a Liberty Church, we have community pastors and we were praying over the legacy offering that's happening this month, right throughout December. You know, if you're newer around here, this time of year, we always are focused on global missions, helping the hurting, ex- extending the gospel and the kingdom across the earth. And we do that through this special offering over, over and above our tithe. We bring a legacy offering in December. And I was praying into that. And as I prayed for the legacy offering, as I prayed for the new year, as we were praying for our community pastors, I kept getting the word Tenacity. Tenacity. And I was thinking about the intersection of tenacity and our faith as I prayed for them, you know, not only for the legacy offering, but, you know, each one of our communities, almost like a family as a parent, each one of your kids always have different things that you're believing for or or breakthrough. And I'm thinking about this community that needs a venue or this community that's, you know, looking for leadership in certain areas, whatever it was. I kept getting the word tenacity. And so it's out of that kind of thinking and some scriptures I've been wrestling with that I want to bring you a message today simply called Tenacious Faith. Tenacious faith. Faith can move mountains. Can I get an amen this morning? Faith can move mountains. And I received a testimony literally just last night. I got permission. I'd heard of a story of a healing miracle in our church. I reached out to the person that had shared it with me, Lale, who oversees prayer for our church. And and she got permission for me to share the story of Catherine Williams from the Upper West Side. This, this, this testimony has literally happened in just the last handful of days. And this is what Laleh wrote. She said, um, Catherine has always had overly high arches in her feet, so high that she walked on just her heels and toes. It caused her a lot of pain in her feet, issues in her legs, other issues going right up her body. Since the body is connected, everything was out of whack all the way up. The doctors had recommended that she would have a surgery where they would break both of her feet and insert metal rods to flatten her feet out. And she'd put off the surgery for some time because of its invasiveness. One night, our community group. Who loves community groups? (laughs) We have these amazing uh, groups right across. In fact, about 90% of the the number of people you see here on any given Sunday are also involved in these community groups where discipleship and relationship and really thriving in community happens. Anyway, in her community group, which this season was called the Basics of Supernatural Ministry, that sounds fun, they came around and prayed. And first we noticed that she had one leg that was three quarters of an inch shorter than the other. So we prayed and it grew out to match the other right before our eyes. And then we laid hands on her feet. And one person felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask, which seemed like a, a strange question the way they described it to me, to ask her if she would, if she would mind if her feet were bigger after we prayed. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so that's what they felt, that after we prayed, the arches would come down and her feet would be bigger. And Catherine said, yeah, that's fine. So we prayed and she felt something, but said she was going to let us know how she did. The next day, she realized her feet actually were bigger and that she was walking completely differently, that all of her pain was gone. And, uh, and so she went to the doctors and they scanned her feet again. They'd already scanned them before advising the surgery. They scanned her feet again, and they are now completely normal with completely normal arches. No surgery needed. Amen. And uh, she actually, Laleh said she's getting us copies of the before and after scans. <laughs> That'll prove the miracle medically. Amen. Praise God, the giver of every good thing. He heals still today. Amen. That's the kind of tenacious faith we need in every area of our life to hold on to God, His goodness, and His promises. Faith is a powerful thing, but I think many of us wonder, how does faith really work? You know, it's so easy to use the the word faith and kind of lump it mentally in a bucket that includes other things like optimism, magic, and wishful thinking. You know, like, I think I can, I think I can. Is that faith, right? But I think... I think the Bible teaches us what faith is. How think how faith thinks and speaks and acts. And Hebrews 11, 1 says, "Faith, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see." Faith faith is confidence There's a confidence. And it's a different, different, faith is not arrogance and it's not swagger, but it does have a confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. I love that there's a confident hope. I don't think oftentimes the hope we see in the world is a confident hope, but that's what faith is. It's a confident hope and it says an assurance about things we do not see. How can you be confident in what you hope for? How can you be assured about something you can't even see? Well, that's the very nature of faith right there. In fact, I think faith oftentimes is even more assured about the things that it can't see than the things that it can see. That's just how our faith works. The New King James translation of that same verse says faith is the substance. It's the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things unseen, so not only, like the NIV puts it, is it a confident hope and an assurance about the unseen things, but faith also has substance and produces evidence. What a great thought for you and I this morning to believe, to engage this kind of faith. Faith that would be substantial, to rephrase it. Faith that would have a substance to it. It's not a flimsy faith. It's a substantial faith that would produce evidence. It should produced evidence in Catherine's life, hello, before and after scans, evidence of a substantial faith, of a faith that moves mountains. There is certainly, according to Scripture, a gift of faith. And I think sometimes we dismiss our own faith because we compare ourselves. You know, the Bible talks about all sorts of spiritual gifts, you know, like the gift of prophecy or a gift of mercy. And there is a gift of faith. And I think sometimes when maybe we dismiss ourselves like, oh, I'm not really a faith person, what we're doing on the inside is comparing ourselves to some who have this special gift of faith or a dispensation of faith. The, the simple fact is you and I all have been given a measure of faith, and we are all responsible to steward it. You know, Andy, my wife has a gift of faith, but I, would, I think I relate more to the tenacious kind of faith. Her faith inspires me. Her faith is like a rock. Her faith, you know, I mean, it it lifts my spirit. But I have my own measure of faith that I need to steward. And for me, sometimes faith is just putting one foot in front of the other. That's what tenacious faith does. Sometimes faith is just holding on. Sometimes faith is just not turning back. It's standing in the goodness of God until we see His deliverance. But whatever your measure of faith is today, make no mistake, you and I need to learn to engage it. And we need to learn to use it. See, it says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, just a few verses after the one I read, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you know, you know why? It's because, you know, even the very act of coming to Him, for our salvation in the first place required faith, amen. So sometimes people will say, "Oh oh, I don't really have faith." It's like, okay, well, if you're saved, if you gave your life to following Jesus, if you accepted what He did on the cross as payment for your sins and you're following Him, you have faith, because just that very act required it. But do we keep that faith that moves us to salvation, that moves us to repentance, that faith that brings us in alignment with the gift of God? Are we keeping that faith now engaged in our everyday life? Are we living a life of faith, to walk by faith, as the scripture puts it, and not by sight? See, this message started to brew in me about a month ago. I've been studying my way through the book of Romans in my devotions, and I came across a passage which is going to be our main text for today in Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, verses 18 to 21. And these verses here for me started to unlock what I see is really four hallmarks of tenacious faith, four keys to living a life of tenacious faith. And uh, the context here, by the way, as you're turning to Romans 4, is that Abraham... Or Abram, <laughs> Abraham and his wife Sarah, they're old, but they've been given a promise by God that, you know, in fact, one time, you know, that God, God has him walk out under the night sky. says, try and count the stars. That's how many your descendants are going to be. But at the moment they got the promise, they had zero children, right? Didn't seem like they were on track to fulfilling God's promise, They were old. It seemed like the opportunity had passed. Everything in the natural seemed to point away from answers to promises and prayer. And yet, in Romans chapter 4, it shows us something of Abraham's faith. And I think this is relevant, not just as a historical study or a character study for you and I. I think this is what it looks like to live a life of tenacious faith here today for you and I. It says in verse 18, it says, Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as, it's been, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. This is referring to the stars in the sky. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver... Through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is the anatomy, these are the hallmarks of a tenacious faith. And I want to encourage you and I to live with this kind of faith today. If you take your notes, first thing I would love you to write down number one, is put your hope in God. If you're going to live a life of tenacious faith, then I tell you, you and I are going to have to have our hope in the right place. Can't we put our hope in all kinds of wrong things that don't last and are not eternal? It's God himself. That's where our hope has a sure foundation. It said in verse 18 that I read just a moment ago, it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of God. Many nations, oftentimes, you know, they refer to him as the father of faith, he's such an example of faith, the father of faith. But in hope, believe. I found that phrase sort of almost like a paradox, kind of confusing to me. This particular translation against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed. I wanted to understand that. I'd read it many times, and I was like, What does it mean against hope, in hope, believe? What is it? I think the New Living translation was really good of this particular verse, verse 18 in the New Living, says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. So even when there was no reason for hope, <laughs> Abraham... Kept on hoping. Why? Because he believed the promise of God. In other words, he had put his hope not in himself and not in his circumstances. He has put his hope in God. I think I shared the story recently in some of our communities, just of the application process of getting Zeke, our elder, into a high school. And- all the administration, all the tours, and the overwhelming number of options here in New York for a kid going to high school. Such a, and I just remember this moment of simple hope and trust when we had this conversation in the kitchen. I was talking about options and paperwork and all the different things that needed to be done. And, and Zeke just said to me, it's okay, dad. God has a plan. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good one, Pastor Paul. Ah, God has a plan. It's okay, dad. It's okay, dad. God has a plan. What's he doing? He's, he's putting his hope in God and not in the tours or even, I mean, yeah, do your work, get the best grades you can, you know, do the tours. It's not to say you don't do any work, but I like that he had a simple, grounded faith and his, his faith was grounded. His hope was established on a right foundation. His hope was in, in God. See, that kind of hope is a powerful force in your life. That kind of, that kind of hope is a... It's like life to your soul. And what a terrible thing the opposite is when a person truly loses hope. What a terrible place to be is in a place where you've truly lost hope. Martin Luther King Jr. said, We must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. I think when we have an infinite hope, a deep well of hope, and to me that that comes from having the right foundation for our hope, which is God himself and his promises, then we can face all kinds of setback and disappointment without losing our way. GK Chesterton said, hope means hoping when everything seems hopeless. (laughs) That's a good thought, isn't it? When everything seems hopeless. That was Abraham's circumstance. It seemed like That ship had sailed. Seemed like everything was stacked against him. But hope means hoping when everything seems hopeless. This time of year, I love the carol, a thrill of hope. Amen. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope. You know, our world needs hope. Don't you think that sometimes as you read the news or watch your social media feed or just talk to people in our day, and our generation. People need hope, but they need, they need the right brand of hope, a true and lasting hope. And you and I, you know, our world needs you and I to be carriers of that kind of hope. I'm inspired by Abraham's hope because he keeps on hoping when most people would have lost hope, when frankly it seemed like You know, that that the circumstances would never turn their way. In fact, it says in the message translation, one more translation of that verse. I love this. It says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. And listen, deciding not to live on the basis of what he saw, he couldn't do. But on what God said he would do. He decided to live not on the basis of what he saw, he couldn't do but on what God said he would do. Put your hope in God, number one. Number two. The second thing I believe is a hallmark of tenacious faith is to face the facts. Put your hope in God, and number two, face the facts. Now, this is going to sound like the opposite of faith at a first glance. Just gonna call that out. It's actually what stood out to me about this passage that got me thinking, because actually as I read this, all at once it was kind of surprising and a little bit reassuring to me. As I read the story of Abraham's faith, you know, it says against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. And then verse 19, listen to this. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact That his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Listen to that tension. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts. I think sometimes when we're wanting to walk by faith, we're almost nervous of the facts, it's like we want to put our fingers in our ears. La, 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 la. Nothing, you know, move along, nothing to see here. Then we think that's, that's faith. But, you know, it seems to me Abraham has tapped into the sort of faith that isn't afraid of the facts. He faced the facts. And the Bible's very specific. He faced those facts without weakening in his faith. Man, I want that kind of faith. Anybody else want that kind of faith that can face the facts? count the cost, if you like, number the enemies and see all the problems and articulate them, and yet not weaken in our faith. I, I believe, actually, it's oftentimes not until we can face reality that our faith is actually even engaged. Did you hear me this morning? Sometimes it's not until we're willing to face reality, face the facts, as Abraham did it. For him, it was, hey, I'm 100 shop's closed. We're not supposed to be having kids anymore, right? It seemed like this is, this is crazy. He faced those facts without weakening in his faith. How can you and I do that? Look at the things. I, what are you believing for today? I mean, what is it that's facing you in your finance, in your relationship, in your walk with God, in your health? I don't know what it is for you where you need a miracle today, but I wonder if all at once you could face the facts and not weakening your faith. What a powerful thing that is. It's not until we face reality often that we fully engage our faith. And to be honest, if we ignore reality and God does the miracle anyway, it also minimizes the miracle. It minimizes the testimony. I love Catherine's story that I open with because she faced the facts and yet she held on to hope. She faced the facts without weakening in faith and she was surrounded by a loving community that believed that God could heal her in spite of what the doctors had recommended. And thank God for doctors, amen. Thank God for doctors. But I love that she held on to hope. I love that because she did that and because they believed for a miracle at the end, God gets all the glory, amen. You see, faith is not determined by facts. Faith is not determined by probability. Sometimes we call it faith, and all we're doing is calculating probabilities. It's just optimism. It's just extrapolating the past into the future. That's not faith. No, faith is determined by God's Word, and faith is made confident by God's faithfulness. He's done it before. He'll do it again. If He can do it for them, He can do it for me, amen? Faith. Faith. Faith is not undermined by facing the facts because faith is not built on the facts. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that faith is a a denial of our circumstances. It's just a refusal. This is so important. Faith is not a denial of our circumstances, it's a refusal to trust in them. Come on, Paul, that's good. I don't know what you're facing this morning. But rather than deny those circumstances, what would it look like to embrace them? as terrible as they might seem right now, and all of the same, not, not waver, not weaken in your faith, but not put your trust in circumstances to deliver you. You know, I remember years ago, I had an opportunity to stay with a, a family that were from a very different sort of flow. In the, you know, they were believers and loved Jesus, but their, their approach to faith was kind of not what I'm seeing here. It was much more like a denial of the facts. In fact, one time when I was staying with them, uh, one of their kids broke their arm and he had tears in his eyes. He was visibly in a lot of pain. And me in my ignorance, not understanding how they approached faith in their family, said to him, are you going to go to the doctor? And with tears running down his face, he says, he's like, oh no, my arm's not broken. And that was for them what faith looked like was like, I'm not going to give this broken arm any power by saying that it's even there. And to me, there's kind of a danger in this. I mean, first of all, whatever you think about responsible parenting, just put that to the side for just a second. <laughs> but regardless, I think, I think it's a pity when we can't face those facts. Like, okay, the arm is broken. I think you can say an arm is broken, and yet God can heal it all at the one time. I don't minimize God's power by verbalizing my circumstances. If anything, all the more the miracle. Because then if he heals it, well, it's like, well, was it broken or wasn't it broken? If it was broken and it's healed, praise God, amen. But I don't think faith has to be a denial of our circumstances. That's what I see in King David when he faces down Goliath, when all the armies of Israel are lined up against, against this giant and he goes before King Saul for permission to be the one to do battle. He doesn't say, He's not so big, <laughs> he doesn't say, He's not a giant. I, you know, what, what, is it, what does he say? I killed a lion. And a bear. He'd been a shepherd boy out in the field. He'd face down real foes. He didn't deny the risks and what was involved, but, he's, he's like, he, but he's, what, he, what he was angered about was that he was defying the name of the Lord our God. I've, I've been reading a great book that I highly recommend for the men of the house called Fathered by God by John Eldridge. Fathered by God, incredible book. And he said this about, about David. He said, There's a settled confidence in the boy. He knows he has what it takes, but it's not arrogance. He knows that God has been with him. He will charge Goliath and take his best shot, trusting God will do the rest. And that knowing only comes through experience. Amen? Put your hope in God. Face the facts. Number three, don't waver. It says, without weakening in his faith... He faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. And then verse 20 says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He didn't waver. You know, we walk by faith and not by sight. So all at once, facing the facts doesn't weaken our faith, and yet can be strengthened instead. And spiritual maturity is oftentimes, I find, holding two things in tension. That's what we're doing right here. We're facing facts, and yet all at once we are not wavering in our faith. I actually believe we can grow in our conviction that the promise will come to pass. I wonder what it was like. Just put yourself in the story of Abraham and Sarah for a moment. What was it like for them in the time between the promise and the promise coming to pass? I mean, they promised a child, but what was it like when that time of month approached every month? Is it now? I mean, what do you think all through scripture? think Think about all the times that there were promises and then the waiting. Think about Joseph and his vision, and then all the things that went south almost immediately afterward. Think about David, anointed king. Think about all of these great through the scripture, had a promise, and yet had so many opportunities to waver along the way. Is God going to come through? You know, there were physical realities facing Abraham, and yet he didn't, wasn't deterred in his faith. And I, I was interested in that word waver. Like, what does it mean to Waver. And, uh, and so, you know, this is the, the, the word here, the Greek word that we translate waver in this translation is diakrino. And, and to drill that, it's really two words put together. It, it means this. It means to separate or separate thoroughly, to withdraw from. So he didn't separate from or withdraw from the promise. To, it, does, it means to oppose or to discriminate or, or reflectively hesitate to contend or to try and make different, or even some of these mental ways that we can waver, to discern or to doubt, to judge or be partial, which results in staggering or wavering. I love this thought. This, so Abraham has made this, he's like, I'm not gonna separate from him, I'm not gonna contend with or push away from I, I, You know, I, I am, I'm not gonna hesitate in the face of the promise and I'm not gonna get all up in my head, discerning and doubting and judging and being partial. He, he trusted God and his faithfulness. We, we had a, a great experience this summer just of a miracle in our family with, with the search for an apartment. And it had been such a, you know, I guess in the scheme of things, it doesn't seem like such a big deal, but if you've ever been there, when you're looking for a home, and it's, and it's like, okay, like we're facing the facts that, that it seemed like, well, you know, this is, is there something out there like that we can afford? That's what we're believing for. We're walking in the goodness of God. But we, in the end, we looked at 40 places. Oh my Lord, there's so many so much time and so many tours, and we, we applied multiple times to places and got rejected. And it's like, okay, what? there's that temptation starts to come in to judge or, you know what I mean, to, to push back or to rationalize, explaining away the faith that we had in our heart, that God had something different for us, and we just weren't seeing it yet. But you know, uh, what a victory it was. When in the end, just holding on to hope and continuing to speak out in faith, sometimes in spite of what we were seeing, to, to finally walk into that place, to get that acceptance letter, amen, to walk into that home. And every time we walk into our house, it's like a physical, visible reminder all around us, God is faithful. And I'm so glad, looking back, that although we had to face the facts, I'm glad we didn't waver and settle for something else. Winston Churchill said success is the ability to move from one failure to another, Without loss of enthusiasm. (laughs) That's where success comes from. He ought to know. I mean, what was his story? He's facing down Hitler's Nazi Germany and the collapse of Europe, perhaps the world as we knew it in those days. But, you know, he said success is the ability to move from one failure to another without loss of enthusiasm. (laughs) Sounds like not wavering to me. What about Jacob? If you know the story in the Old Testament, Jacob wrestles an angel. And what does he say? I will not let you go until you bless me. That's tenacious faith, isn't it? I won't let you go until you bless me. Now, let me add a word of caution, a word of wisdom in here. What's important for you and I to discern sometimes is our own soul condition, our spiritual condition, because there's one important thing that makes the difference between faith and stubbornness. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's whose idea was this? I have definitely found myself in the name of faith on occasion just being stubborn. Anybody else? And, uh, and when truth be told, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that God had promised or God had said. It's just that I was, I was being stubborn. I dug in. Amen. And so you and I, we do need to search our own souls. But it, basically, at the end of the day, if God has said it, if God has promised, if God has spoken, then let's put our trust in Him. Face those facts but not waver. And then fourthly remember, God is able. God's able. God is able. Yeah, he didn't waver in verse 20, but in verse, in verse 19, but in verse 20, it says, being fully persuaded, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. He was persuaded of God's power. He was persuaded of God's power. See. Faith says God is well able. Amen? Even at the same time as recognizing I am not. I am not able. I can't deliver on this. I cannot control this circumstance. But God, God is well able. Am I, are you fully persuaded of God and His power and His goodness? Are you persuaded of the goodness of God that He is well able? You know, our calling, Andy and I, our calling to New York was Abram's promise way back. And God had said to him, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. That was our promise to come to New York. He says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. But you better believe for us between the promise and seeing at least what we experience right now, much of that promise being brought to pass and much more to come. But in between the testing, Facts to face, opportunities to waver. You better believe it along the way where there opportunities to waver, and there still are. And yet holding on to the fact that God was in this, that he confirmed it in different ways. What he said to me, the question he asked me on the Statue of Liberty, what would you give for a city? Or he's promise to Andy in the 9-11 memorial when he said to her, these people are your people. The way he gave us, both of us, the name of our church separately, and he had even journaled about it without even telling me. I mean, all of these things were like promises for us to hold on to in those times when it seemed like, how's this going to work? Like nearly going bankrupt on the edge of, like on the verge of launching this church, if you've heard that story. We nearly completely ran out of cash. It was terrifying. I remember calling people desperately, pray for us, we're going down. (laughs) And yet the reality is God is faithful. We held on to hope. We didn't waver. Even when it seemed crazy, even as we faced the facts, even as we did the spreadsheets, this just doesn't work. But God, amen? There are going to be hard days, church, along the way. And maybe you're in those days right now, hard days, discouraging moments, maybe discouraging seasons. And that's true of Scripture. I already mentioned them. Think of Joseph, all those years, in a pit, in prison, wrongly accused, overlooked, or so it seemed, but God. Think of David, promised the kingdom, and yet persecuted, hunted down by a king who'd abandoned God, and God was abandoning him. You know, one, one word of caution that I would offer you is, is in this space where we're facing the facts and determining to not waver, let's not take things into our own hands. You know, every man and woman of God in the Bible, I love that the Bible doesn't just give us the good parts, it paints the whole picture. And there was a moment when Abraham and Sarah tried to take the promise of God into their own hands. And when it seemed like God was taking, quote, unquote, too long, they cooked up a plan to make God's promise happen for him, which is never a good idea. And Abraham sleeps with the maidservant, Hagar, and sure enough, she conceives, but it's not the child of the promise. And along comes Ishmael. You know, that's a picture for you and I oftentimes of what happens when we try to take matters into our own hands instead of having tenacious faith. Instead of putting our hope in Him. Instead of trusting in God and God alone. Instead of remembering that God is able, we try and, you know, take our own abilities, use our own abilities to bring it to pass. And God in his faithfulness took care of Hagar and took care of Ishmael. But you know what's interesting is, you know, Ishmael ends up becoming a thorn in the side of the promise of God for for the next generation. And instead of trusting God and doing what ought to be done now for generations, for centuries. In fact, even even what's interesting is modern day Islam traces its roots back to Ishmael. Isn't that interesting? And their descendants from Abraham. It's a dangerous thing for you and I when we try and take matters into our own hands and we try and bring God's promises to pass for him. So let's make it, as I land this today, let's make this practical, make it personal. Think about a circumstance in your own life right now where you're believing for a miracle. So number one, put your hope in God and be aware of anywhere else you're trying to put your hope instead of him. Put your hope in God. Number two, Face the facts. If there's any part of you that's wanting to do this (laughs) or wanting to say my arm's not broken, then just for a minute, put all of that aside. And can I encourage you to face the facts and give God all the glory and yet don't waver, number three. I'm not gonna waver. I'm not gonna rationalize this away. I'm not gonna turn to the left or the right. If God spoke it, he is faithful. And number four, trust and remember that God is able. Amen? God is able. I, I believe... I believe that 2019, I, I, I got this phrase the other day, the year of faith. I think that's a word for some of you, the year of faith. I don't just mean for us collectively as a church, amen to that. But for you personally, I'm believing, I want to impart something when I pray in a moment. I want to pray over you that whatever your journey has been, or even maybe your struggles, if you felt that way about faith to this point, I'm, I'm believing that 2019 is going to be a year of divine, supernatural, tenacious faith in your life. One last scripture before I pray, Romans 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Did you catch that? It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You know, even grace itself, friends, is accessed by faith. And so I'm believing right now as I pray. And somebody in a moment after I pray is going to come and extend an invitation to you and I to follow Jesus and to accept what he did on the cross as payment for our sin. But I want to pray for you this morning and impart faith. Amen. Can I have every head bowed, every eye closed across this place? Before we extend that invitation to you this morning, let me pray. Father, we wanna be a people of tenacious faith. I'm so inspired by Abraham's story. I'm so inspired by his story this morning and I'm grateful to you, Lord, that we have his example in spite of facts and circumstances. I'm grateful to you that he didn't waver, that he held on to hope and he put his hope in God, that he trusted in you alone, And, guys, pray a supernatural, divine impartation of faith over every person across this place this morning. Let us be a people of faith and let 2019 be a year of faith for them. In Jesus' name.